Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. It's hashtag SGN. It's Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates, that is how you get in touch with us and make sure that you can listen. Guys, we have a big show today. There's a lot going on. We're going to be joined by Chuck T and David Danzies. Going to get into some stuff. I have to tell you, though, Julio Jones is at the forefront. Everybody's talking about Julio Jones. Julio, Julio, I don't care. I really don't. I don't care. And guess what? The sports books agree with me. We will get into the Julio Jones stuff. We do have some playoff stuff to, to deal with as well. Chuck T is jumping on, our Rotomill Fantasy Expert, because Chuck made some huge waves this week, basically saying, you know, he's just not believing in Mike Trout in fantasy anymore. At all. Daily fantasy, even when he comes back. Well, we're going to talk to him, and I'm going to press Chuck a little bit there about that. You know, New Jersey has been at the forefront of a lot of this gaming situation and a lot of uh, the gaming laws that are out there. And we, for years, have had our buddy David Dances on with us and... He's the lead writer. PlayNJ.com, NJGamblingSites.com as well. And I have to tell you, David, um, this is exciting news that I think that a lot of people are not really paying that close attention to. And that is being the new rule that's being proposed in New Jersey about being able to bet on the collegiate in-state sports. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. Hey, Tom, first of all, good to, good to talk to you. It's been a little bit, but always happy to come on and, and tell your listeners what's going on here in New Jersey. So, Right now, there is a, uh, a constitutional amendment working its way through the state legislature uh, to change the sports betting law. When New Jersey enacted sports betting in 2018, um, rather than have a, a long, drawn-out fight over sort of smaller details in the bill, um, they passed a provision that, that appealed to some, some doubters and some naysayers of, of gambling in general, um, and that was a prohibition against gambling on colleges that are in New Jersey as well as any collegiate events that take place in the state of New Jersey, right? So you could have an NCAA sanctioned tournament here in the state of New Jersey that didn't feature a single uh, team from the state of New Jersey, and you couldn't legally wager on it in the state of New Jersey. So we're trying to change that. Um, What still needs to happen, it needs to pass another branch of the state legislature. Uh, The governor has to sign off on it, and then it's actually going to be up to the voters of New Jersey whether they want to amend the state sports betting law. Um, There's little indication that there's any sort of opposition to this from the general public. Um, We've seen this in other jurisdictions that have sports betting, most notably Nevada. Um, You know, you can bet on UNLV out there, and there's there's really no issues. So don't expect any issues with this one uh, coming before the voters. Could happen as early as this November. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that when it happened, I don't think people realized, and you brought up a great point kind of with my next question here. I don't think people realize that it's not Rutgers. You know, how many people go, ah, yeah, well, who's betting on Rutgers? Yeah, no, 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 no. It goes bigger because New Jersey is having in-state tournaments. They're having basketball, and in the future – they probably want to have bigger things. Uh, Seton Hall is a team that went uh, potentially very deep into the NCAA tournament, and you simply can't bet on those games. And what's funny to me, David, is that so many people in the sports book, because I've been there for March Madness, right? So many people in the sports book have no idea. You know, they go up and they right. go, oh, I want to go bet this. And you're like, no, 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 this has changed. So 
I I understand that the law most likely will be changed. I understand that it's um, uh, you know almost an obvious thing at this point. Are you hearing a lot of pushback though? Are you hearing in your circles any pushback? Not really. And and those the the, the small rumblings of pushback are very much along the lines of you know kind of the integrity of the game and the integrity of student athletes sort of perspective, right? And there there really is nothing on either side that says it either does impact them positively, negatively, or not at all, right? I mean, it's it's very much kind of this ambiguous issue that people have opinions on, but there's not really a whole lot of empirical evidence to support any real position. Um, but you know, you brought up an interesting point that, you know, there will be tournaments in New Jersey. It would be foolish to not mention or, or and at least not point out that part of the reason why this is happening now and, and there's a push to amend the state sports betting law is because the Prudential Center in Newark will be hosting a uh, a regional semifinal in the 2025 men's NCAA basketball tournament. So where Seton Hall plays its home games, which is at the, the Prudential Center, that arena is going to host a an East Regional. So that's coming up in a couple of years. But there was also kind of a little bit of a push this year that sort of opened people's eyes with both Rutgers and Seton Hall being in the tournament. Um, You know, I was down in AC uh, that first Friday night when Rutgers played and when they won that game. And I got to tell you, I mean, it it was electric. People, you know, there was Rutgers t-shirts everywhere, but nobody had a bet slip for Rutgers. You know, so it it was kind of like it it was a head scratcher. And I'm sure the books and the casinos and, and they noticed it. But, you know, I, I'm sure there was a couple of state lawmakers that noticed that as well and said, wait a minute, this this isn't really working. We need to change this, and we really need to change it soon with the NCAA tournament coming in. Um, and then I've mentioned in a couple of my articles when I've written about this, you know, there's a tournament right here in Atlantic City that doesn't get as much attention as the NCAAs, but that's the MAC tournament. Both the men's and the women's tournament takes place at historic Boardwalk Hall. And, you know, that's 100 steps away from a sports book in either direction and you can't bet on the games. So it was a little bit of a head scratcher. It, it, it certainly seems that the momentum is going to change it. There, there wasn't any opposition in the legislative bodies when they, when they discussed this, when they debated this as a, as a resolution. I don't see the voters having much of an issue either when it, when it comes to their, their turn to make the final say. Yeah, it, it is funny that you said that because um, I, watched, I watched guys sitting next to me, and we're talking to David Danzis, lead, lead writer at PlayNJ.com. I watched uh, these guys next to me, and one of them said, oh, man, I love Rutgers next game. Oh, yeah, I got it. And I'm just looking going, oh, he's going to be disappointed when he goes up to the counter. You know, you, you could just almost feel it. What about the other states? Yeah. Do you think that other states are going to look at this and and say, you know, come on, we're, we're who cares about in-state games? We're kind of chopping our own legs off. And the states that are looking to gain sports betting, are they just going to kind of forget this? Is New Jersey going to set the tone and say, guys— everybody just allow it and just get rid of this. I think so. Right. And, and part of that is because of New Jersey's position as right now, the, the sports betting leader in the country. I know that that still shocks people when they hear it, but right now this is the largest sports betting market in the country. And our regulatory system around sports betting is, is considered the gold standard right now, right? With, with our accessibility to online sports books and, you know, there's, there's 13 or excuse me, 12, uh, retail sports books in the state. I mean, right now, New Jersey is setting the standard and, and, and putting the putting the bar in place for other states to follow. Um, to my knowledge, and, and, you know, don't hold me to this one because I could be off by one or two. 
I don't know of any states that have pending sports betting legislation with this kind of prohibition in the language. Um, and again, I, I could be wrong about that. There might be one that I'm just not as, as familiar with it as I should be. But to my knowledge, you know, New Jersey is, is the only place that's really enforcing this at this point. And it, it seems like its days are numbered on that, too. Yeah, there's a number of, of states that have it right now. Um, so I, I'll, I'll do a little bit of research on our break here. But basically, New Mexico, no betting on in-games, uh, state college teams, right? You have Rhode Island, New York. Yeah, New York is already there. Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can you can see Iowa is one of them. I know that Oregon had it, then they didn't, so which is a little interesting. Indiana, New Hampshire, all of a sudden, Illinois. Oh, you start going down the list and you go, wow, a lot more than you realize. Washington, D.C. has it. Most of the states, almost 60% of the states, are already have it in place. And like you said, New Jersey's been the leader, and we'll, we'll get into that in, in a minute. But New Jersey's been the leader. But I think the other states have to look at this and see how much pushback. And that's why I asked you about the pushback. If New Jersey had a lot of pushback, maybe the other states say no. Uh, but at this point, to me, they put it through just to push it through. Is that right, David? I mean, do you agree that they just push it, put, put it through? Yeah. Because why argue? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and. Um, you know, you, you rattled off a list of those states, and, and I think a couple of them, they get a little more into detail about the prohibition. Like, I, I, again, I could be wrong, and, and please feel free to check my homework on this. But a couple of those states, you can still bet on in-state colleges if you bet in person, not online. So I, I'm not sure exactly which ones. I think there's a handful of them. If I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me. I, I don't mind being corrected. It's quite all right. Um, but again, New, New Jersey has set the standard from the jump. Um, they, they saw what Vegas did and they saw ways to improve upon it and they implemented that here. And so far it's worked. This has been the one sort of, uh, ding, if you will, in, in, in New Jersey sports betting, this, this sort of quirky prohibition. And again, college sports aren't really huge in New Jersey. So maybe that was part of the reason, right? I mean, you know, we're not Texas, we're not Florida, we're not Michigan, we're not California, yeah, you but know, college but, sports are, are sort of under the radar here. But college basketball is big in New Jersey just because of its proximity to New York and Philadelphia. And and there is a lot of interest on people wanting to bet on those games, particularly if there's a tournament in New Jersey. Yeah, I was going to say Indiana loves their basketball. They have no prop betting on in-state athletics, which is interesting. Yep. All right, guys. David, I did my homework. Uh, you asked... Is there anybody that has proposed bills on the table that will not allow in-state wagering? And yes, uh, there's actually two. Nebraska and Connecticut are both not allowing in-state wagering uh, when they eventually uh, get, uh, hopefully this year, when they eventually approve uh, gambling. And really, New York, too. Because New York has no in-state wagering uh, as well, and they're going to be big. We're hearing probably January. Which brings me to my question, David. How worried is New Jersey that New York is going to get full on scale legalized gambling? Pretty worried. Uh, they're not going to say it publicly, but privately and, and to a man. Yeah. Um, and, and the reason is, is quite obvious. Um, since New Jersey has legalized sports gambling in, in 2018, we've seen the migration of sports bettors um, from New York into New Jersey, and it's a significant portion of the online market. It's a significant portion of the Meadowlands racetrack market as well. 
So there's no doubt that New Jersey is watching very intently, very closely to what New York is doing because it, it will undoubtedly have an adverse impact. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that it's going to lead to New Jersey no longer being uh, the leader in the clubhouse when it comes to sports betting. New York is going to take a significant chunk of that. And, uh, you know, there's really not going to be any way for New Jersey to get it back. I mean, the, there's, we already have almost 20 sport, uh, online operators here in New Jersey. You know, the market's already divvied up where it's going to go. And, and um, you know, I know that there's people who like to shop around and see what's going on. But for the most part, most sports bettors are pretty loyal to a handful of books, especially those that, um, you know, give them good promos and reward them on their play. I just don't see the market getting too much larger in the sense that New Jersey is going to be able to recoup its losses once New York legalizes full, you know, uninhibited sports gambling, which I think is ultimately what's going to happen. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're still kind of ironing out the kinks, if you will, in New York, but it's really hard to imagine how they're not going to look at New Jersey and say, why are we not just doing what they're doing? Why are we complicating this? At the end of the day, this isn't rocket science. It's, it's betting on sports. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, though, you know, and it's also it's a weird industry now because they're not targeting guys like me. Like guy like me, I live about an hour from the Jersey border. OK, a little over an hour. Um, I will drive the hour, go make my bets and, and then come back home and I'll I'll shop around if I have to. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll go cross the border and go onto mobile sites and I'll do what I have to do because obviously guys like me, I, this is this is what I do. Right. Um, but they're not targeting them, right? Most of these mobile sites and generally the the general business model now is go after the low guy. Go after the guy that's betting 20 bucks, right? Go after the guy that's never bet before. They love that industry. And those guys, they're not driving an hour when they can sit home. They'll go, you know what? Ah, I'll lay the three and a half rather than get in my car and drive an hour. And I think that that's the big problem is what this industry is targeting and what this industry is catering to. You said rewards and boosts and all of that. They're catering to the novices. They're catering to the people that aren't going to make the trek. So it helps them in that way and really hurts New Jersey. Well, you see it. There's, there's two things of, that, that absolutely point to, to your making an, an outstanding observation. One is, you know, it's no secret, especially if, uh, if you're using the old Twitter and, and you follow gambling Twitter, you know very well that they're limiting sharp play. A lot of these online books, you know, listen, if you're winning, they don't want you playing. And that's a problem. The other thing that really points to that they're targeting you know, a lesser skilled player or a more recreational gambler is look at New Jersey's parlay numbers. They are, they are eye-opening and, and that's being, you know, kind and, and not trying to, to be hyperbolic. Um, they, they just absolutely are staggering when you look at them on a monthly basis and you're saying, well, we know that sharps usually are, are staying away from parlays, right? Or, or at least the larger parlays. And yes. we see it all the time on, you know, guys posting tickets and I, and I won't call any, uh, you know, anybody out by, by name, but you know, there's people on Twitter who are posting tickets of, Oh, look at this eight leg parlay. This guy bet 20 bucks and he won, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. How much did he lose before he got to that point? And it's just, I, I don't know. I scratch my head at it. Sometimes I, I, I understand the operators are in it to make money, but I, I don't think they're doing a good job of what the ultimate goal of any gambling lobbyist will tell you, which is to, to decrease the amount of customers who are looking at offshore. 
and who still who still want to bet in that market because they're not being limited in their play, and and they're not you know <laughs> they're not having to open up and and see these ticky tack promos and these boosts and these things that just they, they know are are not appealing to them. So I think the industry is doing itself a little bit of a disservice um, when it's limiting sharp play. But again. I'm not, you know, I'm not wearing a suit and making those decisions. So who am I to say? Yeah, they downright don't like us. I, I was limited on betting a couple of hundred bucks on Vlad, Vlad Guerrero for the MVP. Hey, look, it looks like a, it was a good job to limit me there. But it was a couple of hundred bucks. You know what I mean? Like, come on, man. Like, you know, I'm not sitting here rolling up in a bag, man, as uh, our bud, buddy Dave Sharapin would say. You know, this is, this is a couple of hundred bucks. All right, let's talk about uh, Atlantic City as a whole. I know the summer's coming. This is when it's supposed to kind of take off, right? It's supposed to be you got uh, yep. Atlantic City. The boardwalk's thriving. Now sports betting's here. Everyone's kind of over this pandemic. Here we go. Or so you hope. Tell me, what is the Atlantic City forecast for the summer here? There are high expectations for the summer. Whether those will pan out and or not depend on a lot of factors, Tom. And And that's always the case in Atlantic City, right? I mean, weather is always a concern in Atlantic City even in the summer. Um, but I think based on what I've seen in the past couple of weeks, things are getting back to normal. The problem is, again, I'm a numbers guy. I look at the numbers, I comb over them. I, I borderline obsess over them. The average spend per visit in Atlantic city is, is down. And there's a number of things that are likely contributing to that. I don't know that I necessarily can can point to anything that backs up my theories again, but just as somebody who's observed this industry as long as I have, I, I know this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Smoking is a big one. Um, listen, if you're if you're a table games player, you're a slot machine player, and you're in a groove, and you got to get up and go smoke a cigarette and go outside, maybe you're coming back to the machine, maybe you're coming back to the table, maybe you're not. Right, maybe that seven minutes of clarity outside. You say, "Yeah, I'm going to walk away now." It's showing in the numbers. Um, there's, you know, until the restaurants opened up fully and and you know we we were allowed to to go in without masks. You know, you were seeing it in the food and beverage numbers too. You know, people are are dining, but they're not staying as long, right? Because it's just they weren't they didn't feel comfortable or just the experience wasn't the same. It wasn't what they expected. So these things are bearing out in the numbers. We're seeing them. Whether or not Atlantic City can recoup what it's lost um, is the big question mark hanging over the city. But I think most casino executives are hopeful, right? We're seeing the return of live entertainment. Like, as I mentioned, you no longer have to wear a mask inside if you're vaccinated. Um, They took down the plexiglass. They turned on all the slot machines. So, you know, things are getting back to normal. But there's another issue, too, that people aren't talking about, at least not in terms of the casino industry, maybe in terms of the larger national conversation, and that's a shortage of employees. The casinos literally cannot get employees in the building right now. Um, You know, there's a housekeeping shortage. There's a food and dining shortage. There's a security shortage. And all of these things contribute to how the casinos can operate, even though they're allowed to do so at 100%. Listen, if you can fill up 100% of your hotel, but you can't clean all the rooms, it doesn't make a lick of difference, right? So there's a lot of things that still need time to sort of see how they play out. But uh, as a gambling man, I've got my money on Atlantic City. I always do. Um, I think she's going to bounce back. I think we're going to have a good summer. And I really hope we do. 
um, this area, this region needs it. You know, every time I get on with you, I always sort of talk about the employees and, and how the industry is larger than just gambling and what it means for the economy and just the way of life in South Jersey. It's really important that the casinos get healthy again because we all need it. We all need that boost, both morally and in our and in our wallets and pocketbooks. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know I'll be down there this summer. That that's for sure. Guys, it's David Danzis, lead writer, playnj.com. Check him out, njgamblingsites.com. And go check him out on Twitter. I always follow you with your Twitter stuff at AC underscore D A N Z I S. David, it's been great. Thank you very much. All right, guys, David always comes on, does a great job with us. And I got to tell you, look, you know, it is not um, lost by me the way that I used to be traded in the way that, that I am now. And I, my play has not done anything but increase. I go to Vegas a lot, right? I mean, look, I go to Vegas all the time, and I'm treated like a uh, like a god in some places there. I really am. I mean, well, what I consider a god, which means free food, free rooms, you know, free transportation sometimes. Um, in Atlantic City, I feel like I have to work for it a lot harder. You know, I really have to work for it. I've stayed at a number of different casinos. Uh, the, the play and the comps are not what they were. And you go, well, if it's, if they're struggling, well, why would you want to kind of put them away? Oh, if it's struggling, if it's struggling business, why are they giving free things away? Because I'm going to go there. I just am. You know, if you give me a free room, I'm staying at your casino, and chances are I don't really want to walk all the way back to my casino. So I'll hang out there. I'll drink there. I'll eat there. The comp situation, and it happened in Vegas for a little while, but the comp situation is something that really needs to be noticeable. And and the smoking, I, I agree. You know, I don't smoke. I never did. I can't stand it. My wife absolutely can't even be in a room with smoke, uh, but I agree. It's probably taking away from Atlantic City. I, ho- I hope that AC and New Jersey as a whole, they don't get absolutely crushed when New York gets sports betting because I can't imagine most people driving the hour, hour and a half to go out. All right, guys, take a quick timeout. We'll be right back right after this. Now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds, guys? Well, the big news is that the Tennessee Titans, yeah, they acquired Julio Jones and Julio Jones coming over big time numbers. Well, what about the Super Bowl odds? This Tennessee Titans Super Bowl odds were 35 to 1 before Julio went there. Now it's at 30 to 1. Not that big of a movement. They are also plus 110 to win the division and 16 to 1 to win the AFC now. Now that they got Julio, their odds haven't changed much, but they certainly have changed. That is, what are the odds? You know, guys, I was going to bring Chuck on to talk about Julio Jones anyway, right? I'm like, I, I got to bring Chuck on to talk about Julio Jones and the fantasy impact. Chuck T.L. Rotomill, fantasy expert. Because I'm getting calls about an article that Chuck wrote for the South Shore Press. And Chuck, your article is a lightning rod in the sports world and in the sports fantasy world for sure. But it's also going to drip into the sports betting world. We'll get into some of that. And that is basically, Chuck thinks my shot's done. I mean, that's it. That's it. That's it. Hang him up. That's it. Mike Trout's done. It, 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 did I nail it or did I, maybe I overshot uh, it? I think it's a little more nuanced, my point, than that. But uh, I will tell you what it I think is done is drafting him in a season-long format. I don't think you can spend the, the draft capital when you have a top-five pick 
I think he slips outside the top five because what's now happened is that he's showing a propensity to missing 30% of the season, and that kills you in a season-long format. When you have Mike Trout in a dynasty product, you can carry it because, let's face it, if Mike Trout misses 10 weeks but plays 16 weeks, 16 weeks of the excellence of Mike Trout plus a league average guy still comes out ahead. You, I'm not telling you to, to trade Mike Trout in a dynasty product, and nor am I telling you at this point to, to, to drop him. I'm suggesting that in 2022 you think twice about drafting Mike Trout in a season-long format. And so when Tom, of course, says he's done, I'm not saying he's done, but he's done for me as a number one overall pick. You know, it's pretty funny because my immediate reaction, I'm a Mike Trout apologist constantly. I'll, I'll defend him to the hilt. And I went back and I thought about our shows, and you didn't have Mike Trout going number one overall, so you didn't believe him, him before that. And, and there's a real—and you would be kind saying, I don't draft him in the top five. There is a real argument now to be made that he's not a top ten pick, which means Mike Trout might not be a first-rounder. And before you guys go crazy out there— you know, just think about the names. Start to do your research about the names. Take away his steals, which he hasn't been running a lot. You Add in the value that, look, Mike Trout can't stay healthy at this point. Uh, and you start to really break it down. Now, when we did our preview, you were all over Mookie Betts, right? Mookie Betts would have been your number one guy. Look, he's having a down year, but he's got time to recover. But he would have been your number one guy. Uh, but... A lot of the debate was Acuna, Tatis, Soto, even, who uh, hasn't gotten off to that rocket start. You have a lot of options there, Chuck. So if you had a redraft today, who's your number one guy? Believe it or not, we went from recording that show to me participating in my nationally only league draft, and I had the third pick. Okay? So Mookie Betts went two, and... Uh, it came up to me at three, and I took Fernando Tatis, and I went against I went against what was for me uh, what I was saying. I did think that Mookie Betts in 2018 had a better season than Mike Trout, and I felt that way. So I felt that the Trout um, the the armor broke in the 2018 season. I thought that Betts had a, as good a right-handed batter's season as it had been had. So the 2018 told me that Mike Trout's not an absolute as a one. But actually, when I came down, I can't draft Mike Trout in a National League only league, but when it came down to drafting um, my first player in that draft, I took Tatis. And so I'm leaning towards Tatis because it's amazing that Tatis has had COVID this year. He's had a partial separation of his shoulder, and he's managed to still be fantastic. And he's going to set... He's looking like the next 40-40 guy, and when you talk in fantasy baseball, it doesn't get better than steals and power. Well, Chuck, I'm going to put you into a corner here because you just knocked Mike Trout because he's, he's missing 30% of his team's games. Fernando Tatis, injured this year, injured last year, yeah. injured his last year in the minor leagues, constantly injured, a frail guy. Ronald Acuna, a lot of people would take, take him number one. He's the next guy. Ronald Acuna, injured this year. Injured last year. Cody Bellinger is always in the conversation. Injured this year. I feel like the idea that Mike Trout should drop is probably going to gain some momentum. I understand where you're coming from. But my argument here is that a lot of the big names, almost all of the big names, have had injuries in the last year or two just like Mike Trout. I also argue that 
a shortened COVID season followed by what we have a random season this year led to Mike Trout's injuries and a lot of other guys. I think that there's value in Mike Trout if he starts falling outside the top five. Yeah, you know, the the, the nature of the injuries is what troubles me. He makes a head for a slide in 2017 into second base. He tears a ligament in his thumb, have to get operated on. He turns around in the 2018 season. He's got inflammation in his wrist, okay? You turn to 2019, and he has a peculiar condition of his foot that requires season-ending surgery. Only plays 114 games that year. Then you come to the COVID season where everyone else missed time, and Trout pretty much played the entire 2020 season, which was an anomaly, I guess. Then this year comes in with a calf strain. So uh, they're talking about him missing eight weeks. The most recent news is that he anticipates jogging soon, didn't give an exact date. He says he has no timetable. It's looking, and it'll be out through the All-Star game. So you're looking at approximately eight weeks missed. And it's it's and what's fascinating about Trout's stats, too, is that he stops running at around 2017 when he experiences this injury. So it's obvious that their manager says to him, Mike, we need you healthy. We're paying you a high percentage of our total payroll goes to you. Your recklessness on the bases has to stop. So you see the, the steals go down, 21 then he's at 11, then he's at 13, then he's at 2, and then he's at 1. So he's not running, but it didn't stop the calf strain because he still runs like a maniac in center field. So, but what happened simultaneously is that Mike Trout in 2017, for the first time, has a 600 slugging percentage. And for the first time in his career, his OPS numbers go above 1. And every when you look at the Trout career, he's always in the 900s in OPS, Prior to 2017, from 2012 to 2017, he's running a lot, though, all right? And then it's almost like, well, I'm going to change my launch angle. I'm going to try for home runs now. And sure enough, his slugging percentages go above 600. So it you're torn about this because you can always find steals somewhere else. And maybe Mike Trout now will be the most productive Mike Trout that he's ever going to be. So you're seeing, you do see this change in his playing style and, and at least his launch angle and how he's swinging. He's slugging better than ever before. So can Mike Trout hit a bevy of home runs when he comes back this year? Positively. Absolutely. He could he get MVP consideration. I just think the eight weeks missed is too much. I'm glad you brought it up. 18 to 1 odds right now, which is not crazy when you start to think about who's in the MVP conversation. He's in the top 10 in the MVP. No one's buying him, okay? But my question is, should they be? Should people start looking at Mike Trout? You look at the American League, and you got, obviously, his teammate Otani, right? Uh, You have Aaron Judge, uh, Vladimir Guerrero. Outside of those three— you're talking about maybe Bregman is in there. He's just about where Trout is. I'd rather take a shot on Trout. You're talking about, you know, a DH and Alvarez. I think they're going to lean Trout. There's not that big, crazy Jose Ramirez. Uh, you know, I think that there's a little bit of value if it starts to get to 20 to 1 or higher. Yeah, I can see that because, you know, we're in week 10 of the baseball season. It's a 26-week season. If Mike Trout can come back in week 15 and he's going to give you basically 10 remaining weeks of the season, Mike Trout can hit 20 home runs in that span of time. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at a guy who might make some big hits in August, win some big games, and could. It, and if, they get back, if, if the Angels get back into the hunt and get into first place, that what 
what got us to first place. It's going to be Mike Trout. It's going to be the big story. So I like the odds on, on a prop bet for him for MVP this season even if I'm not going to take him number one overall. Yeah, you know, I, I started to, to look at it also in the same kind of context. I'm like, you know, the Angels being bad helps him. <laughs> it really does. Absolutely. The Angels, you know, and the Angels might go out there, they might make a move and get a pitcher, but everybody will just remember, oh, man, remember when Trout came back? Oh, watch what he did when he came back. And and you said he could hit 20 home runs. I think he could hit more. We've seen guys hit 20 home runs in a month. Where we've witnessed it, right? right? And not huge names. I remember Alfonso Soriano uh, hit 20 home runs in a month, right? You can see Mike Trout from, you know, the point that he comes back hitting 25, 30 home runs and just making people's eyes pop out. I'm looking at 18 to 1. I'm going, I'm not biting yet because he's still not back yet. But the closer he gets back, if this is hanging around that 20 to 1 mark, I might take a stab at Trout. Why not? All right, Chuck, you know, we're talking a little Mike Trout and you're bashing on Mike Trout. Angels fans already dislike you, but I have to get into this. Because we mentioned Trout for MVP. We mentioned who he'd take number one overall. We threw out a bunch of names. Why do you hate Otani now? Because Otani should go number one overall in fantasy. And isn't Otani the MVP at this point? Isn't it fascinating that that when Otani came to the majors, we were talking about a three-digit fastball, right? And we don't even care about his pitching anymore. I mean, and he's still a dominant pitcher. And he's become such a threat offensively that comparisons the Babe Ruth thoughts are always in my head when I think about this guy because, I mean, Babe Ruth was a world-class pitcher, and so was Shohei Otani, and yet uh, we all we all we do is talk about Otani's offense at this point, and he's a phenomenal, phenomenal offensive threat. Absolutely. You know, he's a guy, you said 40-40, right? He's a guy that very well, I, I mean, look, he's not going to do 40-40 like Acuna might. Uh, it's very easy that Tatis might. But he's on a pace of about 45-25, right? 45-25. Oh, and by the way, here's some pitching at you. I, I'm not I'm not saying that I am definitely sold at this point. I've had Jay Paris on the air who wrote the Otani book, right? I'm not saying I'm sold on Otani at this point. But if you told me right now, I'm taking Otani number one next year overall. I don't think I could argue with you. Yeah, it, it would be a very difficult argument, you know. And and what a transformation! This, this wasn't. This was never talked about. They always talked about him being a serviceable hitter. That was the. That was what was forecast for us. This is a guy who can play DH for you. And you know, ESPN leagues they turned around and they made him available for you. He would one player would only take up one slot on your team, and you could use him. But you couldn't use him on offense that week that you want to use him at pitcher. I don't know if you're aware of that. ESPN leagues do not let you use Otani. Ridiculous. In the same, talk about the ultimate weapon, and you can't use it. But you know what guys are doing? They're doing it in my league. They're 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 using him seven days a week and on offense, and it's it's what a phenomenal thing you, that you did. You, you throw away a 99 mile per hour fastball. It's just tremendous. But again, um, you look at this season. All right, it's a 26-week baseball season. To hit 52 home runs, you've got to keep to a pace of two a week, and we don't have anybody at a pace of two a week. We're we have we're in week 10, nobody's at 20, and it's going to do a little bit of hitting for someone to get to 20 by the end of this week. So, um, you know, again, it, it the 45, he's right there on the cusp, but you know, 45 might be the guy that leads the majors this year. That could be. Yeah, everyone's going crazy about the, you know, the hitting. And I go, we just mentioned Acuna, Tatis, Betts, Otani. 
Um, uh, uh, you know, you go go down the list of the guys that might go number one overall. None of them are hitting over over two ninety, right. right? About two eighty eight, two ninety. Right. None of them are three hundred hitters. Um, which brings me to one guy I want to circle back to, and Nick Madrigal. It's our every time I have you on because we wrote him off last last time you were on. I said, look, he's an empty batting average. You just can't have him on, on your team. He's an empty batting average. He's not stealing. You know what are we going to do with this guy? You know I have him on a bunch of teams. I'm benching him days. All of a sudden he's hitting 305. And yes, it might be an empty batting average. But a 300 batting average, empty batting average, is much different than a 280 empty batting average number. He's got a ton of runs. You know, I know he was having some problems. He's got more strikeouts than walks. But a guy's still hitting 305. Is he useful again? He might be. You know, again, and, and, and with stolen bases coming in bunches and typically coming against pitch, starting pitchers who can't hold runners to, to, a, to a, a, a decent lead and catchers who can't throw out. Base stealers, um, they can come in a bunch. And Nick Madrigal is fast enough to steal three bases in a game. He's that type of player. So I would think if he's in your dynasty league, you play him. Maybe you play him at your your middle infielder position. But if you have to, if you format that way, um, at second base, Nick Madrigal hits you three oh five. He's capable of turning that into a three thirty at the at the drop of a hat, um, and he has that kind of elite bat to ball skills. He really does. So it could it, he could have value. Let's talk about Trevor's story. Where he's going to go on a betting circle? Milwaukee was leading the way. They've now dropped out. Um, the Oakland Athletics and New York Yankees are very close to the top. A lot of people had Cleveland in there. Um, they, there's a number of teams he can go to from a fantasy perspective. Now, I, I personally, I don't think the Yankees should go near him. Uh, I think Oakland seems like the team right now. But from a fantasy perspective, where's his best landing spot of available teams that that might actually make a play? You know, I, I do think it is the Yankees. I do, I do think that makes the most sense. Um, except we are hearing some things that the Yankees may not be the buyers this year. Um, they've had a disappointing season. Their result, they've been swept twice this year. I talk about when was the last time the Yankees were swept in a single season, and this year they've been swept in two series by the Tigers. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, so it's been, it's been not a good year, and maybe the Yankees won't be the buyers. Um, Oakland is a problem for him from a fantasy perspective because it's a big ballpark with a lot of foul ground territory. So it, it, it is a batting, and he's not hitting for a good batting average this year. Another victim of the n- tremendous number of players this year who are often batting average. So, you know, and uh, I'm going to bring up a guy, Tom, that we've all owned him in the last three seasons, but I don't know what's in the juice this year for Jesse Winker. Tremendous. He looks really, really good. You know, it's, and it's funny because. One of, the team that I think needs the most offense that has a legitimate shot at making a push, and you'll you'll grin it when I say this, is San Francisco. I've bet San Francisco. They just are not valued. Look, look, Kevin Gossman's an ace. You called it last year, right? Kevin Gossman's an absolute ace. This guy is not getting big numbers. He should be minus 220 every night. Uh, meanwhile, you know, minus 150, minus 145. No one buys it to San Francisco. They need offense. The problem is... The guy that I know you've owned at least once in the last 10 years. Brandon Crawford's killing it, man. Brandon Crawford. Do do you buy into Brandon Crawford? If you're a San Francisco, I don't think they trade in the division anyway. But if you're a San Fran, do you buy into him? Do you make a stab at Trevor Story? Uh, You know, it's a tight one. You know, because one thing you have to pay attention to with San Fran, you've got a 
completely cheap salary that you co- completely control in Joey Bart. Joey Bart hit another home run last night, folks, and it's got the batting average up to 366. I mean, Joey Bart is tearing it up. He costs you nothing. You can rest Buster Posey a little bit more in the second half, and you can play Busters elsewhere in the field. Um, so that that might make them a little bit uh, timid to make the big play for Trevor's story. I could see that possibly holding him back. Um, pay attention also to what happened to Gaussman. When you have that Baltimore pitching staff, that coaching, that that is just, they ruin every pitcher. They've pitch destroyed and they, the Dylan current, Bundy. And Dylan got, Bundy's yeah. been ruined. I put Dylan Bundy on my bench, and I've pitched Dylan Bundy in spite of being in Baltimore for but you watch if Dylan Bundy gets dealt this year you I'll be I'll knock you over I'll knock my mother over to go get uh, Dylan Bundy I'll tell you what that's why Grayson Rodriguez and DL Hall who are killing it in the minors I'm going yeah I don't know yeah. still worries me all right real quick before we go you probably heard my Julio rant here it's not that I'm anti Julio it's just that he just doesn't fit the team the guy I, I'm I'm penciling him in for like 1200 yards six touchdowns not much more. I'm seeing him go as a top five wide receiver, top 10 wide receiver. To me, he is an okay wide receiver too. And and that's it. Now, I think Tannehill gets a big bump up here. I think Brown gets a small bump up. Derrick Henry, everybody expects big things from. I worry about the workload carry. Tennessee, look, they had to make they had to make the trade. I've called it the Giancarlo Stanton. You had to make the trade when they only asked for a second for Julio Jones. But I don't expect this out of the world kind of uh, fantasy season. Uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of receptions to throw around. It's um it and and again you put him into the top five at the deepest position in football. He hasn't scored more than eight touchdowns in like ten years. He doesn't score exactly. I mean, it, it never a top five. It's the deepest position in football, and God knows they there was I think really twelve legit good wide receivers taken in the draft this year who are all going to be getting time and and maybe not cracking the top five certainly, but um nah not never top five on on Julio Jones. I'm not taking him over his teammate. I, I think right. Brown is is the clear better player, and now they can't double team Brown. So all of a sudden, I think Brown gets a, a bigger boost than Julio. He could. And you know, I said twelve hundred yards and six touchdowns, and I got ripped for it. And I go, just look at the last couple of years where he's played fourteen, fifteen, sixteen games. What has he had? Oh, fourteen hundred yards. Six touchdowns. I think the yardage comes down just a little bit, just because they have a, it's a running team yes. with. Brown there, okay? So I think his yardage comes down, not significantly. 200 yards or so is not crazy. His touchdown's the same. Oh, what do we, for a first-round draft pick, a first top five wide receiver, I want 1,400 yards and 10 touchdowns. I want the stability of 10 touchdowns. I need 10 touchdowns, too. And and I just can't look at the line and expect that from this player. It, it's not there. It's not been there. Um, yeah, I I don't see the bump. Just with that. that being said, I do see it with, with Ryan Tannehill. I thought Ryan Tannehill, anyway, yeah. since he's taken over in 2017, he's the third best quarterback in the NFL, okay, uh, statistical-wise. 
you look at added another oh, another weapon here. Um, the idea that I do think Derrick Henry is going to break down this year. He's going to have to throw a little bit more. I see him being taken after guys like Joe Burrow, being taken after guys like Baker Mayfield, being taken as a number two. He's firmly in my top ten, and I'm looking at him right around seven and eight. Yeah, um, Joe Burrow's real interesting to me. Um, you see, you, you know what 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 a good preview he gave you in that season and just a shame with that injury being so devastating but they're talking that he's going to play game one he might play game one but he's not going to run no and that's my worry you know he he, it's not a lot of added yards but those four touchdowns those four or five rushing touchdowns that Tannehill might get yes you know he's not going to get after the top three it kind of drops off the table and then there's a gap between you know until 14 or 15 and in that spot I'll take the stability of Ryan Town. All right, guys, that's Chuck D., our Roto-Mill fantasy expert, and Mike Trout hater, or should I say Angels hater. Uh, Chuck, good stuff, great stuff, guys. Uh, make sure that you go check out Chuck T. Uh, that's uh, The Julio Jones stuff I'm going to get into later on in the show. I'm telling you that now because I have good stuff about Julio Jones. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to the to future. The future. Bet to the future. Well, we're talking Julio Jones, right? Julio Jones' regular season total for touchdowns has been listed. The over-under is 7.5. Over is plus 125. Under is minus 145. That is Julio Jones, and that is bet to the future. You know, guys, look, I got a lot to say about this Julio situation, and, and I touched on it with Chuck, but I just don't care. I, I just don't. Look, I know Julio Jones is an immense talent. I get it. He's a probable Hall of Famer. Can we say probable Hall of Famer? Sure. But at the end of the day, Julio Jones is also 32 years old coming off of nagging injuries. Julio Jones had 777 wa- yards last year and three touchdowns. You know, Julio Jones coming over for a second rounder is blasted. Oh, my goodness. It's Julio Jones. for All they got for him was a second. Yeah, that's right. That's about what it's supposed to be. Let's not get crazy. And this isn't Julio bashing. The guy is a, you know, 10 seasons. First in franchise history in receptions. First in franchise history in yards. Second in franchise history with 60 touchdowns. Seven-time Pro Bowler. Five-time All-Pro. Receiving yards leader. I get it. You know, I get all that. I don't care. I don't care because I don't think that it really matters at this point. Okay? To me... You look at the second-round pick, and you, you go crazy. Oh, second-round pick. DeAndre Hopkins went for a second-round pick and more, right? Same same kind of deal. Mohamed Sanu, different different situation. He went for a second-round pick. Brandon Cooks has gone for a second-round pick. Wide receivers don't mean much in the, in, the way, in the mindset of a GM, in the world of a GM. They just don't mean much. No one's a wide receiver away from winning a championship. I've told you guys that uh, many times before. They're just not. And the name of Julio Jones is making people react in in very crazy ways. Now, you could tell me they should have gotten more. All right. I'm listening to the they should have gotten more people out there because just a couple of a month and a half ago, the Patriots gave up a second and two fourths to move up eight spots to get a defensive tackle. Right. So I, I get that it should have meant more stuff. But let's not overreact to the Julio Jones situation here. Julio Jones is a guy that 771 and three touchdowns in nine games is coming off of his worst year. But even in his best years, what do you got? Six, seven, eight touchdowns. 
You know, he's got massive, massive amount of yards, but that's that's yards. You know, that's that's a lot of that is because of the offense and what they were in. It'll tell you something about Julio Jones. That the Chiefs and Ravens were not in on Julio Jones. They were not. Okay? So you look at Julio and what does he add to this team? Let's talk about the numbers that I think. I, I said I think 1,200 yards and six touchdowns is, is about where he's at. Well, Corey Davis had about 1,000 yards and five touchdowns in 14 games. Now, Corey Davis is not the player Julio Jones is. I get that. But Corey Davis is also 26 years old. How much massively different production is Julio going to give you? In order for me to say that this trade, look, you had to make the trade. I get it. But in order for me to sit back and hear about this trade and what this trade is, oh, should be eye-popping and, and, oh, we should be fawning over ourselves, Julio Jones got to score 10, 12 touchdowns, 1,500 yards. I mean, that that's the kind of love that I'm hearing from people out there. People in the fantasy community, ah, oh, he's a top five guy now. Ah, Tennessee's winning the Super Bowl. Talk to a Tennessee fan this weekend, live on the air, that uttered the word Super Bowl with the Tennessee Titans. Why? Because Julio Jones. Julio Jones comes over to a Titans team that finished in the bottom five in the league at rushing the passer. Bottom five in the league at pressures. Bottom five in the league at sacking the quarterback. Guess what, guys? Julio Jones, even though he's got the body for it, does not rush the quarterback. They're also pretty poor on missed tackles. Lower half of the league there. He doesn't play middle linebacker. They also have a very weak secondary that, you know, is young. Maybe uh, you have some hopes, but going up against what they're going up against. Julio Jones also doesn't play defensive back. Julio Jones is also entering an offense that want to run, run, run first, second, and third. Now, I think Brown will be better. I think Tannehill, like I said, will be better. I don't think Julio Jones. Ryan Tannehill, by the way, who I do think will be better, uh, since coming into the league, and I want to give you these ranks, as a starter in Week 7 of 2019 for Tennessee, NFL rank third overall QB rating, third overall touchdown passes, third overall completion percentage, eighth overall yards per attempt. I, I mean, Ryan Tannehill, guys, is a... Big beneficiary here. But I worry about, you know, and by the way, let's talk about who he leaves behind. Matt Ryan will be just fine. I don't think anybody had Matt Ryan as a top 12 quarterback. Finished last year at 14. I think he could finish right about there. Cousins lost a big receiver and was okay. Watson lost a a big receiver. I mean, he's more of a talent. Tannehill, 49% downfield against Ryan's 39. I don't think it matters that much. My worry here with Julio Jones is the idea that Julio Jones very well could become Giancarlo Stanton for the New York Yankees. And Giancarlo and Stanton, go back in time, guys. You go back in time with Giancarlo, and what was Giancarlo? Whoa, this massive talent making a lot of money that just didn't fit the Marlins. The Marlins said, hey, we'll give you Giancarlo for, like, nothing. But you got to take that contract. But, 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 but we're not asking for much. Give us, give us, give us that guy, uh, that guy, 
Uh, no, you don't want any of our top minor leaguers? No, 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 no. You're going to take Gio? You're going to take, oh, okay, no problem. And the Yankees had to say yes. The papers the next day, oh, man, Don Mattingly fleeced them, and Jeter and Mattingly, the ex-Yankees, oh, they just, they gave them to the Yankees. Oh, they just gave, and the Yankees fleeced those guys because they were ex-Yankees, and people were losing it. And, oh, you know, the two big men in the middle, the two giant stars in the middle, they're going to crush 50 over runs of pop, and the Yankees win the next 15 World Series champions. It's not fair. And I came on the air on my Vegas show with my buddy Tim, right? And I, I said, guys, I don't like the move. Well, what? You're a Yankee fan. I don't like the move. He doesn't fit. The New York Yankees needed pitching at the time. The New York Yankees needed uh, uh, you know, hitters that got on base. They didn't need a DH outfielder that hits a bunch of home runs. They had that. So... Did I think, you know what, you can't not make this trade? Sure, you had to make the trade. But I didn't love the trade. I thought you could have used your resources elsewhere. I worried that the money would be a problem. Now, fast forward to where Giancarlo is right now. Massively talented. When he's healthy, he's still crushing the ball. He gives him a presence in the middle. But he's a huge liability in the field when he plays the field. He's a DH that clogs up the DH spot for resting guys. He can't stay healthy, and he's got a massive contract. Sounds a lot like what could be Julio, right? Julio Jones comes to a team that doesn't need a receiver, doesn't need more offense. They need defense. Julio Jones comes in with a giant, massive contract. Julio Jones comes in with injury problems. Julio Jones comes in where no one's doubting the guy's talent, but we're doubting can he stay on the field, we're doubting his age, and we're doubting is he a good fit. I don't think he's a good fit. I think he's Giancarlo Stanton, guys. So let's talk about the betting situation here. I told you the Super Bowl, um, Titans improved slightly from 35 to 1 to 30 to 1. Okay. AFC, it went from 18 to 1 to 16 to 1, the odds to win the AFC. The Titans are now plus 110 co favorites to win the, with the Colts over in the AFC South. And you go for a huge name and a lead story and all this that got thrown on Julio. Why did the odds not move? Let me tell you even something more. Because they agree with me that Julio Jones going to the Tennessee Titans doesn't really matter. They agree with me. Here's the thing. The Tennessee Titans' win total is 9.5. It didn't move. It didn't move. Now, how do we attack this? Okay. How do you attack this as a sports better? Um, if you like Tennessee as a giant long shot at 35 to 1 odds to take, take them to the Super Bowl, look. You liked them as a long shot anyway? You take them anyway. You're going to overlook that defense. Right? You're going to overlook the fact that they have a tough division. You're going to overlook all that, and you're going to go, I'm going to take a long shot. All right, guess what? This might have made you feel a little bit better, but I was never taking that bet. Same thing with the AFC. If you believe Tennessee can compete with Patrick Mahomes and, and Allen and even Cleveland, if you believe that, then you believe it a little bit more now. That's why it went from 18-1 to 1 to 16-1. to 1. If you believe that the Titans plus 110 are now the favorites and they're better than the Colts and Carson Wentz, okay, that number shifted a little bit. But if you really want to take the Titans here, you take that win total. The win total was 9.5 in a 17-game season. I didn't believe that this Titans team was only going to win nine games anyway, right? You think they're going 9-8? and eight? I, I thought they were better than that anyway. So... Instead of taking the plus 110 and watching the Colts potentially win 12, 13 games, you win your 11 games, 12 games, and you're still a game behind. Instead of taking that, why mess around with that? Why not just stay 
with Tennessee over the nine and a half. So that's the best bet coming out of this. Look, I don't agree with most of this. I don't think that the Tennessee Titans, to me, are exactly what they were. The Tennessee Titans, before the Julio Jones trade, were a team that could compete, be right in it for the potential winning of the AFC South. The Tennessee Titans were a team, to me, that were a team that you go, yeah, you know what? They are uh, a team that's just off the cusp. They're probably a playoff team, but I can't see them winning multiple playoff games and upsetting the Chiefs or Buffalo. And after the Julio Jones trade, they're exactly the same. I think that they're right there with Indianapolis to win the AFC South. I think that they get into the playoffs. I think they have a possibility of winning a playoff game, but I don't think that they have enough to upset the big boys in the AFC. That That's where it is. So I still see a betting situation because I like the, the Titans over nine and a half wins. But I'm not really going crazy anywhere else. And I know that a lot of you guys are. And I expect these numbers to all rise because people are piling on Julio Jones. Especially in Tennessee, where, yeah, the word Super Bowl has actually been uttered to me about Julio Jones and the addition of him. All right, guys. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back. And you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.